This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. This week, Tyker's look at World War II from a new angle. Plus, we march towards Greta Gerwig's Ladybird follow-up, an adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's classic. Jake Cunningham and my Sonic sisters this week are Ella Kemp Hello. and Kelly Powell. Hello. And after sticking his copy of The Shining in the freezer and looking for a new book, Sam Howlett's wandered into. Hello, what? What is that? <laughs> Mate, I, I tailored that for you because you're always banging on about so, how much you love Friends. Oh, yeah, it's stick, a Friends joke. Stick, stick your copy of The Shining. Oh, and that's when Joey reads Little Women. Yes. Yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hello. It's very <laughs> early in the really morning. I was really confused <laughs> for a second, but yeah, I'm with you. Good. good. Thanks. Thanks. A good reference. References are out of control. Do you know, actually, um, Friends spoiled the ending of Little Women. I think, yeah, same for me. So, Although that's not... Is that the ending? I don't know. No. Who knows? Spoils a thing that happens in Little Women. Yes, it does. So does uh, The Simpsons. Oh, I don't know. I know that one. There's a bit where Mo reads it to kids and then starts crying. Yes, I have seen that. I'd forgotten yeah. that that's Little Women. Ah, uh, good stuff. So that's Little Women. <laughs> uh, if you've seen Friends or if you've seen The Simpsons. You've seen it all. Yeah. Who needs another remake? All right. Um, shall we start with Jojo Rabbit, though? Uh, so this is the new film from Taika Waititi. That's the director of Hunt for the Wilder People and recently Thor Ragnarok as well. Uh, this one's about Johannes Betzler, who is teased by the other children. His knife skills are weak. He can't throw a grenade to save his life. And his Heil Hitler lacks force. Only with the help of his imaginary friend Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Himself. Played by the film's writer-director, Taika Waititi. Can he hope to win over the rest of the Hitler youth? But when young Jojo discovers his mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, is hiding a young Jewish girl, he's forced to step away from his commitment to national socialism. Standard coming-of-age tale. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah? Totally. Yeah. Uh, no, of course it isn't. Uh, this one is very different. This is a very, very different kind of coming-of-age story. And actually, because it's German, it's a very different Bildungsroman. Yeah. And this film has very much been presented as quite a, a quirky little take on World War II, um, which is a hard thing to pull off. I think the... the tweet that has been doing the rounds has been referring to it as Moonrike Kingdom a reference to the Wes Anderson film Moonrise Kingdom and I had heard people say that this this joke, this whimsy 
uh, couldn't perhaps be carried through the film and that actually the film itself is maybe not as quirky as it presents itself initially to be, whether that is good or bad. Um, what were our expectations? What were our feelings towards that that whimsy? I love Taika. Yeah? So I was very, very excited for this. Um, and to be honest, the first sort of third of this film, I was like, I, I, I was in. I was like, mm. I love this. I love how, where he's going with this. When the little boy, when Johannes is at the Hitler Youth Camp, I was like, this is so funny. The way he's found a way to, like, camp up this really horrible period of history, obviously, and find, like, the true farce in it. Um, but unfortunately for me, it didn't carry on the whole way through. Um, it got a little bit tonally confused, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's still really good. And I'm still a, a huge Taika fan, but it lost itself a little bit somewhere along the way. It found itself multiple times over, but wasn't that consistent mm. okay, all the way through. So we've got a big Taika fan there. Let's just check with you guys. Um, had you seen his stuff before, other than the, maybe the Marvel ones? I'd seen, yeah, I'd seen Thor Ragnarok. I'd seen Hunt for the World of People. Uh, I'd seen What We Do in the Shadows, and I'd seen one of his short films. Yeah. The Two Boys in the Car, whatever that one's called. Yeah, um, I don't remember it. I think the kind of tone of that one kind of carries through to this in some respect, this kind of mm. idea of... And obviously, he did this film Boy, which I haven't seen, but I understand that's very a Waititi-esque film, and it's this kind of looking at the world from a young boy's point of view, and that's what he does best in those films, and I think that's what he does best here, is like present you this really horrible world in a very, as you said, very camp, very over-the-top fashion, but also it's all about how a child views this thing that's going on, and I think that's where the film works best. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's something that was tentatively explored in Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah. Um, yes, that is a kind of funny buddy cop, um, mismatched partners on the run type story, but it's also it's, kind of lo looking at oh, yeah, the it's like, all about class the, system and yeah. welfare system and viewing that from the point of view of a kid who has fallen into that yeah. uh, and giving it the kind of the special effects and character and blockbuster feel that a child might view their own life. And yeah. that certainly carries over to how Jojo views National Socialism. <laughs> yeah, and in, in the context of like the Hitler Youth, I think it's a really interesting dynamic of how like a young boy in Germany would view the Hitler Youth as this kind of cool boys club. It's like it's adventurous, it's exciting, it's thrilling. You get to play with knives and grenades and learn about war and battle. And I think that's a. I don't think I've seen that done in a film before. Like exploring that the way this was kind of a, a proto. You know, why it might be scouts. hypnotic. Why it might be. Yeah, and, what, to and it. also the fact that his mother is like kind of like, oh, how, how am I going to delicately draw him away from this because he is a very young boy. I can't, you know, tell him about all the horrors of what's going on just yet, but I need to stop this before it gets, he gets in too deep. And yet it's still a very broad comedy. Mm. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd seen, I think I'd seen pretty much all of Taika's features before, but in a way where every time I'd watched one of his, his films, I thought this is a very interesting sense of humour that I haven't seen before. And I'm interested to see how this grows and lends itself to the subject matter. And each time I thought, this is good, but I didn't quite feel like it hadn't quite found the right story, his kind of style and direction and comedy. And I really felt like with this film, he just, I can't really, I don't want to imagine anyone else taking on this subject matter. Because I think a lot of a lot of people have made films about World War II and 
for good reason and in, in many different tones and, and shapes and forms and everything. And I think when I first heard that Taika Waititi was doing a World War II film and that he was playing Hitler, I thought this is going to be terrible. And also I thought that's going to be the main focus. And because, you know, he acts in, in all of his films and sometimes he's much more of a prominent main character than in other cases. But I think in here, in this one, he finds the balance really well to not overpower um, the story, which is very much about Jojo. And he finds a great actor and he's got such a good way of, of finding that balance and giving it that child's perspective, as there is in Hunt for the World People and in Boy as well. But I don't know if it's just that the story for me is more interesting here or the boy himself is more mm. convincing but to me, it's everything I've seen in Tiger's films before that I've liked, and it's just everything's just come together in the best way I've yeah, seen. Yeah, that's that's Roman Griffin Davis, uh, mm-hmm. who has now been Golden Globe nominated for this performance, uh, and he's he's the backbone of this one. Yes, he's amazing. He really is amazing, and 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 all the all the children actually in this in this film are really good. Um, the, his co-star Archie Yates, who plays Yorkie, exactly. He's really good, and um. Um, and his relationship or his chemistry with um, Thomas and Mackenzie is also really, really beautiful in this film, because um, obviously he meets this this um, this Jewish girl that his mother's hiding, and um, you know she this relationship starts to form and, and she starts to turn his turn his um, question his perspective basically, um, and he plays that so well he can play the funny really well and he also got he's is the heart of the film as well yeah I think. um it's Along that, that the... gradual conversion is actually really believable yeah and i think totally. um with other, other child actors in a film maybe when there comes a point where they need to make a decision it's very much on a dime it's mm. like now i need to be this yeah. person yeah, yeah, yeah. this is what the story requires me to be and like tonally i change um and with a film like this that really does flop around on the tone to have a child actor who can actually just cut Mm. through that and believably have his own arc that feels natural from one point of view to another Mm. is amazing to Mm. have pulled it off. Especially when there are so many such stacked cast around him. When when you've got Taika Waititi and then you've got Scarlett Johansson playing his mother and then you've got Sam Rockwell, even Rebel Wilson is also there. And... I find that in other films where allegedly it's about a child, that you see the child on the poster, for some reason, John Favreau's Jungle Book is the first thing that comes to mind. But, like, you know, you've got this kid front and centre who you think, oh, yeah, he's going to carry this, he or she. Um, and then when when the film happens and they kind of don't, I think, oh, fair enough, you know, they're young and I can rely on the other actors in this. But Roman Griffin Davis, I, I want to say he's 12. He might be 14, but he's definitely not older than 14. And it's just astonishing. Like, I feel like he's captured... Um, Tiger's sense of humour so well and it feels so it feels like he's got such a specific sense of humour that I think no one else should even try and do this and yet it just seems like Roman Griffin Davis has just been so specifically studying his director Mm. and just is it's astonishing kind of how quickly he seems to have picked it up and he's just playing it out like you've clearly been working with this man for many more years than you've been alive yeah um, and I think that's that's an award nomination that I, I think is absolutely fair for mm. this film. Um, one that it picked up already is the People's Choice Award at the Toronto Film Festival, yes. which is always one to be keeping an eye on. Uh, it's previously been won by Green Book, 12 Years a Slave, La La Land, and The King's Speech, just mm. in recent memory. Mm-hmm. And 
And could you see this film, along with those four that I've just mentioned, going on to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards? Well, it's an interesting one because, yeah, as you say, the People's Choice Award is a foreshadow of four, if not Best Picture, definitely major awards contender. And I think Jojo Rabbit is a really weird film to fit mm-hmm. on along that narrative because I think I know I enjoy Jojo Rabbit a lot. I think it's a really fun film, but it doesn't feel like it's a big awards contender in that same respect. I actually think that might, for me, it feels like the film would be better if it doesn't have the baggage yeah. of this is a best picture contender. And I actually felt the same about Green Book in a way. The Green Book, I think, is perfect. And famously, it didn't do anything with it. <laughs> well, it's a lot of pressure. And I feel like yeah. from, the, from the second that Jojo Rabbit won, before it, before it yeah. won this year, lots of people... It, Jojo Rabbit was a very divisive film in Toronto and I think a lot of people who didn't like it were the first people to say this will go on to win People's Choice Award then it'll go to the Oscars and you know all of these things Uh, and it did win People's Choice Award but I think the second it won there were immediately comparisons being drawn with Green Book which also won the award however you feel about Green Book I just think that seeing every film that wins this specific award Mm. within the same kind of range and to have the same impact on people, I think that's really dangerous. And I don't kind of, I don't know, I don't like, it it adds like a lot of responsibility onto this film. Yeah, it doesn't need it. Just doing its own thing. You should just, yeah, by all means watch The Irishman with the viewpoint that this could be a major awards contender, fine. But watching Jojo, this should just be like Knives Out, for example. Yeah. You go and see Knives Out, it's a really fun, really well-made film. And that's kind of it. You don't need to then talk about, should is this an awards contender? Should mm. this be the year's awards contender? Because I don't it think... Shouldn't it shouldn't matter. No. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, it was a weird one, though, because I think Green Book... I think Green Book won by the fact that it was, like, people's second or third choice on yeah. the Oscar ballot. so many people. Because, like, it was some... Some people took Roma, some people put mm. Black Panther, some people did Star is Born, and then Green Book kind of snuck through those. And yeah. there's maybe a chance it could do that again this year because... Let's say the top three Oscar contenders this year are like Irishman, The Irishman, Marriage, Marriage Story, Story, maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, maybe even Parasite. But I think there's a chance that those four are all slightly divisive in their own ways as a yeah. Best Picture winner. That Some then of them jo- will each be one person's first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And let's say maybe Jojo Rabbit is every everyone's second or everyone's yeah. third. Then yeah, that's yeah, where yeah, Jojo yeah. Rabbit could sneak through, which I think... And for this to be a Best Picture winner is insane. Yeah. yeah, not not because not because of the quality of the film, but just because of what this film is. It's mm-hmm. a really weird Best Picture winner, but sure, why not? I wouldn't be mad. Sure, really. why not? <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave it on that. Stick that on the poster, Jojo Rabbit. Why, why not? not? Why not? Um, definitely ones uh, for YTT completists. Uh, more so in the vein, if you enjoyed Hunt for the Wilder People and uh, Boy, yeah. than mm-hmm. uh, if you're a Thor Ragnarok. I think you die hard, and with you Mc- just need Moonrike to... Kingdom. Yeah. Yes. Um, actually, thinking about it, uh, Wes Anderson. Definitely. Uh, but also his release schedule, which kind of is is normally positioned away from awards, mm-hmm. like Grand Budapest, and, yeah, uh, and manages to get there by yeah. itself. Yeah, and mm. I think position like maybe that would have been a smarter move. On yeah, um, who knows? Um, but I, weirdly, a similar film in some ways to Life Is Beautiful, the Roberto yeah. Benigni one. Absolutely. Um, uh, so if if you were curious to get another kind of alternate angle on uh, events in Germany World War II certainly a comparable film speaking of anyone seen the trailer for Pinocchio the new Roberto yeah, Benigni looks great premiering at the Berlin Film Festival oh, it looks insane uh, <laughs> see, seek that out if you can alright 
Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Um, but we should probably wrap up on that one. Uh, and it's time to move from JoJo just to Joe and Meg, Beth and Amy. Updated for 2019, there's a new Little Women in Town and they are bigger than ever. Uh, playing the four March sisters this time are Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, Emma Watson and Eliza Scanlon. Uh, in case you need a reminder, Little Women is the tale of four daughters of a preacher in post-Civil War Massachusetts as they learn to love and live their own lives. This adaptation emphasises the novel's feminist message of self-determination with Laura Dern and Meryl Streep as the matriarchs of the March family and Timothy Chalamet and Louis Garrel playing love interests. Let's find out how a new generation updates a classic. Ella, after Lady Bird, what did you want from Greta Gerwig as a director? When this was announced, Little Women, was that exactly that slot? Um, no. I mean, mm. I, I I loved Lady Bird, and when that finished, I thought, I'm thankful Greta Gerwig exists and I will enjoy anything she does next. But then when she said Little Women, I thought, really? Maybe that was because I, at that point, hadn't seen the 1994 film and I hadn't read the book and I knew that it was something that I should have done. Um, But I thought, I don't know, there's so many remakes that everyone everywhere all the time, I thought at least surely Greta Gerwig can write her own thing and do her own thing and, you know, lead the way for original I think after Lady Bird, she had... um imagine a lot of offers mm. to the point that she could probably do exactly what she wanted to do. But she did. And yeah. the thing with this, which is which is great and has proven that she was right, was that Greta Gerwig, I, th- I think that so a, another, for some reason, another remake of Little Women was in the works, planned for this year, even though there have been uh, over 12 screen adaptations already. Um, but she, Greta Gerwig, marched in to the studio's offices March, and said March, yes, she good. did that's what she did um, and 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 she said that she had to be the one to do it and she laid out her vision very clearly and she was like this is how I'm going to direct it this is what I'm going to do this is my angle and then she just so kind of lucidly laid out all of these things um, and she got it and she was right and and I think to have that kind of confidence on material that not only that people know so well but people are very protective about this book and about that 94 film with Winona Ryder, um, Christian Bale, and and yet, and mm. yet, I think Greta was right. <clears throat> I think it's also a very clever move on her part because, you know, people were probably expecting her to, to follow a certain path um, given her mumblecore background and, you know, her collaborations with um, Baumbach. 
Um, and Lady Bird, Bird was a very specific type of film that I think I think it, it, it's a clever move to go somewhere far, you know, left of centre, um, and uh, and and do a period piece, um, mm-hmm. and also establish herself as like a very serious because it is it's a it's a solidly directed film, and mm. and you feel like okay, I trust Greta Gerwig now. Mm. Um, I yeah. trust her. I I'm really curious as to what happens next like i have like we are uh two films from her as a solo director and i couldn't get a sense of Mm. what would be coming after Mm. this like you could even see like some marvel or star wars or someone being like (laughs) yeah 200 million i mean it's interesting she just finds these Parallels, because also when, on, on top of saying that she had all of these original ideas for um, Little Women, what she was also saying before it was made was that this would be even more autobiographical than Lady Bird was, which was, you know, set in Sacramento and just, she'd said how, how, how many of her own memories kind of fed into that story. And then to say that this one is now, like, much more personal, I mean, great, but just... It's just like, constantly surprising mm. um, from her. It's great. Um, well, let's let's talk about what... what... Greta Gerwig brings to Little Women. Um, it's a, it's an unfussy, quite classical uh, direction, mm-hmm. and see that is a, a traditional fit for the story. But I think it shows why she was a fit after Lady Bird, because mm. if, if you go back and watch Lady Bird, technically the the camera is locked off; it doesn't float around; it doesn't constantly oppress over the characters. It's about performers performing and letting them fill that space mm. and it is it finds energy through its edit uh, that keeps its scenes short and it just it gives you momentum throughout and it carries you through the story not by forcing that rhythm and forcing that mm. momentum onto you through its direction but giving it yeah a more natural feeling through the characters and through the performances yeah. instead right uh, and and in a way if you look at yeah that that style of ladybird i think you can see why it's a fit well, this. yeah, I mean, with, with Lady Bird, I think what I loved very much about it was that it um, was very clearly set ever so slightly in the past. And I think as a director, Greta Gerwig is very good at recreating memories and this sense of nostalgia, but not that feels... It, nostalgia that doesn't feel too distant and too stuffy and too... Um, sentimental. Yeah, like too sentimental and isolating. And you definitely have that in Little Women as well, where you've got very specific and kind of loud colour grading between, you know, these two timelines. Um, and, I mean, these two timelines that are just kind of cut together in an astonishing well, I mean, way. Yeah, you've just dropped in timelines, and now suddenly people <sighs> oh are thinking, God. what, is Christopher Nolan well, involved in this? let me tell and you about let, time Let's establish these women. timelines. What's happening? So... In I mean the book is is linear. These girls grow up, uh, and it, it follows a I think it's seven or eight year period, and um, and and yeah, and it makes complete sense. Greta Gerwig's Little Women makes complete sense, but I think for anyone who knows or likes the book in any capacity, when the film starts, I think where the hell am I? Because she completely tears the book apart. But then when she stitches it back together, it's all of the same pieces, but just in a very, just a completely brand new way. So she flits between these two timelines, present day, if you will, and then she'll go back seven years earlier, where the book traditionally begins. So, I mean, the first line of the book is it wouldn't be Christmas without presents. And that comes in like, what, half an hour into the film? And when it, and when it hits, it's like, it's it's so satisfying and just... 
I think that's the way it manages to stay uh, surprising and fresh because you never know where the things that you know are going to pop up. Yeah, uh, and you mentioned this has been adapted 12 times. This is a fantastic way of reinvigorating that it's, story yeah, as well. Totally. I've never read the book or I haven't seen the 90s film, uh, unfortunately, because people love it. But um, I, you know, you know, you, you, you expect a certain heaviness to to period pieces as as you've come to experience over time um but i think this way of intercutting between the two timelines is it, it, it's such a dynamic way of telling mm. the story that it keeps it really fresh as you said and also um just the way that it's done makes it feel really contemporary without it being like uh, anachronistic well, yeah, it's not doing like suffragette or something. No, it's like doing born camera work or something. Mm. Like, what if this story was a bit modern? Or is, yeah. is, it, is, is it? It's not Marie Antoinette, is it? Where it's like no, modern it's not music that and yeah, no, it is. Sophia Coppola's Marie Antoinette is. <laughs> I mean, I love that film, but it's just it's yeah. such a weird like mishmash of lots of different. Right. Um, yeah, eras. this is not that. This okay. is got. I mean, Alexander Desplat does the soundtrack on this, and it's. I mean, it's 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 like what he does. It's very classical, and it's. Um, kind of consistent the whole way throughout and I mean it's very nice um, but it fits very specifically that area I'd never questioned like where I was but I think it's in the script which Goeg adapted herself um, but she st- she stays very close to the book um, but just all of the all of the lines that people recognise and know from the book are there but just in a very specifically tightened way that like I've, I wrote loads of quotes down while watching it and I thought oh she must have written this herself she must have adapted because it, it feels so like urgent and specific and just beautiful and then I googled them and they're in the book but just like with a few extra words and the verbs are slightly different and just the way that Goeg has like shaped it to think what does an audience in 2019 need to see what will they pay attention to without like making stuff up like she doesn't disrespect any of the material but she just knows how to elevate it and she knows she knows how to make people care about things that they thought they wouldn't care about Mm. all right uh well and and really the things that we need to be caring about are the march sisters Mm. and we haven't had a chance to delve into the performances and i just want to take a moment to do so um i'm sure we could go long on everyone who's involved in this uh but i think the person to flag out of everyone is florence Pugh. absolutely Mm. yeah oh i love her love her (laughs) she is she's incredible so she plays amy march who uh so this was the first version of Little Women I saw and then I've been reading the book since and then I watched the 94 film afterwards and I found that everyone hates Amy Mark. Who plays her in the 94 film? Uh, so Kirsten Dunst, yeah, isn't it? Kirsten Dunst oh. plays the young Amy Mark. Oh, okay. And then another actress who I do not know plays her as in... Um, as the older counterpart of Amy March. And in in this film, Florence Pugh is just incredible. So she plays her at both ages. And this is one thing I want to say very briefly about the two timelines, which I love. In the year of de-aging and digital whatever technology, <laughs> there's no ageing or de-aging makeup in this. It's just everything it's just is so... Years, yeah, just seven years. Yeah, it's just so same. simple. It's yeah. like when, when she's young, Florence Pugh has a fringe and then seven years later she just doesn't. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's that's completely fair enough. And it just works. Um, But oh, she is incredible. Yeah. I love And an amazing, much. amazing year for her as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was fighting with my family, which sadly not enough people saw. Mm-hmm. And she's very good in that. Um, And I know 
she was fantastic in Midsummer as well, yeah. and then mm. this, and then we've got Black Widow coming out in a few months. And Casual Marvel, Marvel. Yeah, well, and if the rumors are to believe, she's going to be kind of taking over mm. that role mm. into the wider MCU as well. Mm. Um, wow, what uh, what a year! Yeah, uh, right year. And I mean, there there is other performances here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura Dern, very good. Better than in Marriage Story. Big there take. Oh, mm. Wow, uh, I agree. Yeah, she's really good in this. I think the marriage story one's a bit one note from her. I mean, if you've yeah. seen Big Little Lies, Jeez, that's that character. Yeah. It's that. Yeah. Um, but do go and check out Little Women if you can. Uh, if you have seen Lady Bird, uh, I think it'll be a really interesting comparison, mm-hmm. particularly, as you say, as, as how invested Greta Gerwig's personal stories in yeah. Little Women as well. Um, and I would actually just want to do a quick mention for other, like, kind of slightly lighter but still fun period pieces coming up. Uh, is personal history of David Copperfield. Oh, yeah, very that seems that. in a similar kind of vein. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, in a, out in a month or so, maybe just over. I was lucky mm. enough to get to a screening, um, and absolutely just kind of breathing fresh air into something that you might feel like needs dusting yeah. up and squeezing a bit of life into. Uh, and that is exactly that. So do check that one out if you can. Uh, if you can't make it to the cinema, though, you can always check out Curzon Home Cinema. Sam, what's happening there? So yeah, on Cousin Home Cinema, uh, we are releasing Mikhail Hare's Amanda on Christmas Day. So that comes out a week before it's in cinemas. It's a really beautiful drama with Vincent Lacoste and Stacey Martin about a guy who whose sister is killed in a terrorist attack and he is forced to sort of take care of uh, his niece. So really... I didn't know Stacey Martin was in it. Yeah, I'm like she's one of those people that I'm I'm very happy to yeah. follow into whatever she's up to. No, it's a real it's a really nice sort of. Uh, you know, obviously quite a harrowing subject matter, but it's a really nice sort of uh, relationship on screen. A uh, really good one to watch over Christmas. Excellent. And So Long My Son will still be on there as well. Still which we covered so a couple of weeks. Son, yeah. yeah. Um, do go check that one out if you've got a spare three and a bit hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kelly, what's happening in the world of events? Some Q&As for you guys. Um, Terry Gilliam will join us for a post-screening Q&A of his film uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. On the 14th of Jan, it goes in Mayfair, um, and that'll be recorded and will go out to other cinemas um, on the 23rd of Jan, so you can catch it again. Um, and we have more Bong Joon-ho for you. Um, uh, you're, you're sounding like a market seller. <laughs> we got Bong Joon-ho. We got Terry You Gideon. get a car. You get a car. Everybody gets a car. Um, anyway, there'll be a Q&A at Mayfair um, on the 3rd of Feb, um, and that will also be beamed out live to all the other Curzon cinemas except for Soho and and, some, and um, some other cinemas around the country. So look out. Wonderful. All right. Uh, so that's what's happening out in cinemas and on demand. Uh, if you've got any thoughts, though, on Jojo Rabbit or Little Women, you can always let us know by uh, tweeting us at Curzon Cinemas or all of us directly. I'm there as at Jake H. Cunningham. Uh, Kelly, you're on there at KS underscore Powell. Sam? At Sam Hall underscore one. And Ella? At Ella underscore Kemp. And if it's your first time listening to the show, please do subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, wherever you get your podcasts. And when you're there, if you could leave us a review or a comment, that would be absolutely wonderful. And for the second time in, I think, uh, about a month, I'm going to say at the end of the show, Alfida saying. Timothy Chalamet is really good in Little Women. Uh, Didn't have time to say that, just uh, to let you know, Mark. We're so surprised you think that, Ella. He's really good.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.